Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Plum Creek Church. My name's Gary. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. I want to welcome those of you uh, joining us online as well. Uh, I need to just take a moment and say thank you to so many of you who reached out to me uh, at the passing of my mom last month. Uh, so many of you uh, sent cards, kind words, texts, hugs, um, and uh, I just want to say on behalf of my family, it is deeply, deeply appreciated. Uh, Mom was 88, and, and so her death didn't come as a complete surprise. She had been in failing health, both physically and mentally, the last couple of years. But none of us were expecting it uh, to happen so quickly, and I'm just so incredibly grateful to God. I had planned a quick little three-day visit to, to go visit her, and... Uh, on day two of, of that visit is, is when she passed, and I got to actually be in the room with her when she went into the arms of Jesus. So it was an incredibly, incredibly beautiful moment. It was a beautiful funeral service. Hard to believe it's already been a month since that happened, but that's how life works, right? The world just keeps on spinning. The death of someone we love deeply is not just something a few of us are affected by, is it? Unless you're a young child here today, we have all been affected by death. I know many of you have lost one, or like I now have, lost both of your parents, or, or maybe for you it, it's a close friend or a, a sibling. Uh, maybe it's the tragedy of losing a child. Attending funerals of those we love or, or even hearing about fun funerals is a gentle or maybe not so gentle reminder of this truth, death is an inescapable fact of life. All the scientific studies have concluded that one out of one people die. Inescapable. The Apostle Paul calls it our enemy. And even when people like my mom, who lived to a good old age, die, there is still something that cries out inside of us, no. This ought not be. It's not right. It isn't fair. And how much more we feel that when people die young. Death is our enemy. We're in a series entitled Crushed. And the heart behind this series is how do we respond to, to life's biggest challenges? How do we respond when life doesn't go the way that we wanted it to go? How do we respond or how do we understand a God who's supposed to be loving when we're in the middle of, of these crushing seasons? So if you have your Bible or your device, I'd invite you to open up to the Gospel of John, John chapter 11. Uh, we'll put it on the screens as well. The Gospel of John was written by one of Jesus' closest friends, the Apostle John. And the story we're going to look at today is a story of loss. It's a story of pain, a story of grief, a story of confusion, a story of crushing. But it's also a story of hope. If you're taking notes, our, our main thought this weekend is, is simple, but it is profound. Jesus wants me to trust him. And as we go through the story today, you'll see why, why that's simple, but not easy. Jesus wants me to trust him. 
So I'm going to read the story, and I invite you to, to follow along. This is a great time in, in your Bibles or devices to just kind of be going with me verse by verse. Uh, we'll skip around a little bit, but basically we're going to just go through uh, the narrative here in chapter 11. So starting in verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And then John adds this parenthetical statement because let's face it, there's a lot of Marys in the Bible. John says, this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. You see, people knew about that Mary. People knew who she was. When, when people were hearing this or, or reading this for the very first time, they would have known, well, that's the Mary who was really, really good friends. Her and her sister and brother, they were really good friends with Jesus. Verse 3, so the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And we're not talking about the sniffles here. The sisters are worried. They're scared. But they also know that Jesus loves their brother. Now, the chapter before tells us that Jesus and the disciples are at least a day's journey from Bethany. It's probably further than that, but they're at least a day's journey away from Bethany. So Mary and Martha send a messenger to go find him because they knew what Jesus would do. They knew Jesus had healed all kinds of people from sickness before. They just had to get word to him so that Jesus knew that their brother Lazarus was in trouble. So verse 4, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. And when you first read that, you might think to yourself, oh, that's a little weird. Sickness for God's glory? I don't know about you, but I, I like thinking about God's glory like when my favorite athlete has just made the winning play and then the reporter sticks the microphone in his mouth and, and he's like, before I say anything else, I just want to give God all the glory. Or maybe it, it's a favorite celebrity of yours that does the exact same thing when, when they win an award. But Jesus is saying, guys, that's all great, but you need to know there's another category. Sometimes God allows sickness for his glory. Sometimes God allows sickness, pain, confusion, grief for his glory. And you see, that's why our main thought this weekend is simple to say, but it is so incredibly profound and, and it is not easy to understand, but Jesus wants me to trust him. Now, as we read on, it, it's so clear that John wants his readers to know that there is a special relationship with this family. So look at verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. You see, they were friends, close friends. Jesus had been in their home. Jesus had eaten meals together with this family. This family supported Jesus' ministry financially. Jesus loved them. Verse 6, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he told his disciples, we got to go. No. John says, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Why would he do that? Why wouldn't he go? 
You know, one of the reasons I believe the, the stories in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are, are true, are real, are historical accounts is because if you were trying to create a, a, a Jesus who was your hero, you would never put this kind of stuff in the story. Everything we read in this story seems wrong. It's uncomfortable, even a bit infuriating. Jesus, you're doing nothing? You're staying? Is it possible? Is it possible for God to love people like Lazarus and like his sisters, Mary and Martha, and like you and like me and our spouses and our kids and our parents and our friends? Is it possible for God to love us and yet allow us to enter some very confusing, chaotic, painful or grief-filled space? Is it possible? And in the middle of that space, to be learning to trust him. John goes on in verse 7, and then after the two days, he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. And specifically, Jesus means back to Bethany. Now it's pretty clear that the disciples don't want to go. Look what they say. Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and, and yet you're going back. You see, they knew Bethany. It's like right next to Jerusalem. It's just a few, a few steps away. And they see murder in the eyes of every Pharisee they see. They don't want to go. They know they're, these Pharisees, they're out to kill Jesus. They don't want to go. Would you? Skip down to verse 11. So Jesus went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. And I love this. I love how the disciples replied, well, Lord, if, if he sleeps, that's a good thing. He'll get better. We don't want to go. But John tells us, verse 13, Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. And remember, John was, was one of them. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. But Jesus, I thought you said this sickness wouldn't end in death. And then Jesus says another one of those things that you just can't make up. Look at verse 14. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Jesus says, I'm glad. For your sake, I'm, I'm glad I wasn't there. What, what, what's going on here? You see, what Jesus is saying is, I'm glad because, guys, I know you're not going to understand it all, but there is something bigger going on here that I need you, my guys, my 12 disciples, to see and, and to, to learn and, and, and to grow and, and to increase your faith in. There's something more important than healing Lazarus. There's something more important than protecting his sisters from the devastation and, and the crushing pain 
that they're experiencing. So yeah, guys, I'm, I'm glad I wasn't there so that the 12 of you would believe and grow in your trust of who I am. But not just the 12. Jesus would say, I'm, I'm glad I wasn't there for your sake. And for your sake. And for your sake. And for mine. And, and, and for all of us so that we might believe. And in the hardness of that all, and the confusion of that all, and that just doesn't seem to make sense, our main thought just comes back again, simple to say, but so hard to live, so hard to, to, to understand. Jesus wants us to learn to trust him. So then go to verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. And in that culture, they would have immediately, as soon as someone died, they would have immediately started the burial process. And so they would have wrapped Lazarus in in, uh, strips of linen cloth. According to the Jewish customs, they would have, you know, covered him in burial spices. But they would have immediately gotten him into the tomb the very same day he died. So Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. Day four is when a body begins to decompose. Go down to verse 20. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Now, hear the honesty. Hear hear the, the crushing devastation in Martha's voice. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, the messenger said he found you. He gave you the message. What happened? This is your friend. You, you've healed people. You didn't even, even know their name. You healed people when you didn't even have to be there. You could just say the word. Where were you, Jesus? Jesus. Have you ever felt that way? God, where were you? Where were you when my dad bailed? I was just a little kid. Or when my wife left me. Or when our child was drifting so far away and as parents we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and it didn't even seem like you cared. Or maybe for you it was even this week. God, where were you when the accident happened? Or when I lost my job? Or when my mom got sick? Or when the depression set in? And guys, if you're going through it, I am so sorry. It's hard. And it hurts. And what I'm about to say, I I don't want to say because it is hard to say, but I need to say it because it's true. And I don't like it, and it's not fair, but it's true. Sometimes bad things happen to good 
friend of Jesus people. Sometimes bad things happen to good friend of Jesus people. And yet somehow in the middle of that, Jesus is asking us, trust me, trust me. Now look, as as we go on, in, in all of her pain and confusion, Martha is still clinging to her faith. She doesn't know why Jesus didn't come, but in, in the next verse, verse 22, she says, but, but I know, Jesus, that even now God will give you whatever you ask. In verse 23, Jesus said to her, Martha, your brother will rise again. And Martha thinks Jesus has just given her, you know, the, the church answer, the typical church answer. And so Martha responds, I know, I know, Jesus, He'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And guys, you just need to hear me say today, I get this. Because for the last month since my mom's passing, I've been getting the typical church answer. And I believe it. I know it's true. But for the last month, people have been saying to me, Gary, I'm so sorry about about your mom passing away. But aren't you glad she's in heaven And of course I'm glad she's in heaven. But man, I'd like to talk to her one more time. Or to give her a hug one more time. Or to smell her hair as I kiss her on the forehead one more time. And so Martha's like, I know, Jesus, I know. He'll rise again at the last day. And then Jesus says something that is so huge and so all-encompassing and all-consuming and so paradigm-shifting that I guarantee there is absolutely no way that Martha caught it the first time she, she heard it. Look at verse 25. Jesus said to her, Martha, I am the resurrection, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Martha, I'm not giving you the typical church answer. I'm completely changing the definition. I am resurrection. I am life. I'm changing the definition. I am those things. It's me. Resurrection and life is standing right in front of you. So we'll go on, verse 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never never die. Martha, do you believe this? Guys, I see our main thought all over those verses. Jesus wants us to believe in him, to trust in him. He wants us to understand who He is. And that even when things seem out of control or when when things aren't going the way that we think they should be going, Jesus is saying to us, do you believe? Do you trust me? And in her grief, verse 27, Martha says, yes, Lord. 
I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. She believes, but I promise you, she doesn't understand it all yet. And so Martha goes back to their house and and tells Mary that that Jesus is here and that he wants to see her. So Mary gets up and takes off running, and, and the group of friends that are with her, they go running with her too. They think she's going back to the tomb, but she's going to find Jesus. Look at verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. And the very next verse tells us that she's weeping. So I believe when, when she saw Jesus, she probably just crumbled at his feet. And listen to what she says. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's the exact same thing that Martha had said. I can imagine these sisters for the last four days have been saying that kind of thing to one another. If only Jesus had been here. If only only he'd come. I know I've said that kind of thing before, and I've got a feeling many of you have said that kind of thing before. If only Jesus had shown up. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping... And the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Those words right there that John uses, they are so interesting. Deeply moved and troubled. They usually are are used in the context of a horse that just had something run across its path and it kind of bucks or snorts because it knows what just ran across its path shouldn't have been there. Isn't that interesting? And so the horse would would just kind of reel back because it knows something shouldn't be there. Please hear me today. Does Jesus feel the heartbreak and the anguish that Mary and Martha feel? Yes. Does Jesus feel the the grief and, and the pain that Lazarus's friends are feeling? Yes. Does Jesus feel and see your pain and mine? Yes. But it's even bigger than that. And it's even deeper than that because what Jesus feels goes way beyond grief and way beyond sadness. Some translations say right here that Jesus is angry. Why angry? Because what Jesus is experiencing in its truest form is the devastation and the crushing of sin on humanity. What Jesus is experiencing is what you and I experience anytime there is pain, there is injustice, there is confusion or sickness or death and something deep down inside of us, something way down where the image of God is on us cries out, This ought not be. And can I just say, that's proof that what's happening inside of us is proof that God's image is on us because we know something's wrong. And Jesus knows it too. Because Jesus was there when the world was created. He was there 
when God created the world to be perfect and good. Paradise, we're told. And he knows that God's purposes was for full and an amazing relationship with the creator. An amazing relationship, an unbroken relationship with other people forever. But because the enemy, Satan, deceived Adam and Eve and they chose to disobey God, relationship with God was broken. But not just them, we've done it too. We're told that every person who has ever lived has sinned. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. And what Satan has done to this world crushes and wreaks havoc on individuals and on families and on friends. Sin is an enemy. Death is an enemy. Satan is an enemy. And Jesus knows this ought not be. And so deeply moved, deeply Disturbed, deeply troubled, like a horse, Jesus reels back and he says in verse 34, where have you laid him? And the people say, come and see, Lord. And even though Jesus knows what he is about to do, even though he knows he is resurrection and he is life, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us chooses to enter into his human emotions to empathize and to feel. And John tells us that he literally bursts into tears. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Guys, don't underestimate what is happening here. Jesus is choosing to experience with his friends the crushing effects of sin on the people that he loves. And he weeps with them. Our God weeps with them. Even the Jews are amazed by this. Look at what they say. See how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And at the beginning today, I, I told you that this is a story of pain and, and confusion and, and crushing, but that it is also a story of hope. Look at the next verse, verse 38. Jesus, once more, there's that phrase again, deeply moved came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Verse 39, take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. The King James Version says, Lord, by this time he stinketh. <laughs> it's true, you can look it up. And he wouldeth. And then Jesus says to her, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? 
And then he offers up one of my favorite prayers that is, that's recorded in, in the Bible. And basically, Jesus says, Father, I know you know what we're about to do. So I'm going to say a little prayer because I want them to hear it. I want them to see that you and I, we're on, we're on the same page here. So verse 41, so they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Because sometimes Jesus allows things that we don't understand. And somehow in the middle of that, he is calling us to learn and to grow and to know and to believe and to trust him. Verse 43, when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And if Martha was here, and if Mary was here, and if John and all of the disciples and all of the eyewitnesses were here today, this is what they would say. The dead man came out. Verse 44, the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And then John records just something that, that makes me laugh uh, in verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. Yep, I bet they did. And then it's not too long after this, really just, just a few weeks, that Jesus, the Son of God, takes it to a whole nother level. And he proved that he is resurrection. And he is life when he willingly laid down his life to die on a cross, to redeem what Satan and sin had done to this world. And then he came back to life three days later. But there were no grave clothes to, to shed. And there was no one needed to move the stone. And through his death and resurrection, Jesus defeated sin forever. And he defeated death forever. And he defeated Satan forever. And it's okay to get excited, right? And it's okay to celebrate Easter a little bit early. So that everyone, Jesus did it so that everyone who believes and trusts in him, Lazarus, Mary, Martha, John, and the other disciples, you, me, and the billions of people down through the ages who have believed, Jesus defeated those things so that everyone who would trust in him would be forgiven and have eternal life both now and forever. Amen. Would you guys bow your heads with me? So as we head into our day today, I have no idea what's crushing you right now. And I don't know what might start crushing you tomorrow. I'm dealing with the loss of my mom. Here's what I do know. 
there are real consequences of living in this broken world that I will never understand. And you'll never understand them either. Here's what I also know. Pain and heartache are real. Bad things happen to good friend of Jesus people. But that does not mean that he doesn't love us. So you might be here today to just be gently reminded or maybe not so gently reminded or maybe you need to hear this or are hearing this for the very first time that just like Martha, Jesus knows things are not the way that they're supposed to be. But one day, he will make all things new. Until that day, he is at work in our lives to see and to work with us to love on us so that we will believe and know and trust that he is greater than our problems, he's greater than our sin, he's greater than our past, our fear, he's greater than sickness, he's greater than death. He is resurrection and he is life. And he's just asking, do you believe this? And so if that's you here today, I would just encourage you to talk to your heavenly father just say thank you for the reminder that even though I don't understand it all you're with me and you're teaching me to trust you so in your own words you can just talk to your heavenly father Others of you might need to hear what Mary heard. That Jesus loves you. And that he literally bursts into tears in your pain, in your grief, in your confusion, in your questions. That he weeps with you. Because he sees the devastation that sin and Satan have brought into this world. But he doesn't weep in despair because he knows how things end. He knows who he is. And so some of you maybe today, you just need to be crying out to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I'm hurting and I don't understand. Just like Martha, I believe. I believe you promised to be with me. I believe you're the Son of God. And I believe, like Mary, you're weeping with me. And if you're here today and, and you have never trusted in Jesus, maybe you came in and you're just like, man, I don't, I don't know what's going on in my life, but I'm feeling crushed. And I have never known that there was a God who promised life to me. And I had never heard that, that my sin separates me from him, but it sure makes sense because I feel distant from God. And so in your own words, you can just tell him that you're sorry for living life apart from him. That you admit that, that you have you have not live the life that he created you to live 
that you've sinned before him. And then you just tell him, I heard today about his son Jesus who came into this world to redeem it, to save it, to make things right again. And I want that. And I know I don't understand it all, but I want that. So if that's you, just in your own words, as, as you're feeling belief and faith, just rise up in your heart. In your own words, you just say, God, I want Jesus to come into my life. Forgive me. Make me the, the person that, that you want me to be. And thank you, God, that you're a God who is life, but you're also a God who will weep with me when, when life just doesn't make sense. Father, I thank you that John recorded this story so many years ago because it speaks to the reality of what we deal with every day. And so, Father, thank you for the reminder that Jesus is greater. He is life and he is resurrection. And yet our Jesus, the very Son of God, is with us in our deepest pain. We love you, God. We pray this all in Jesus' name.